Well, thank you. Well, let's keep that text up. Let's just keep it up because we want to stick at the text. And it's interesting that the first word, the first word there is, finally. The Apostle Paul has given what must be one of the greatest ever expositions of truth, the world, the plan of the ages for the church. And yet... And yet at the end, is this old man, he's in, well, I don't know how old he is, but he's in prison, awaiting probably a death sentence. And yet one thing he's det- he wants to get across, and he says, finally. That's it, finally. He's saying to these young Christians in probably modern-day Turkey, somewhere around there, he says, finally, get this into your heart. We're in a war, he said. This is vital. If you're in the Donbass in the Ukraine... This last 12 months, you think, what on earth has happened? We didn't choose to be in this conflict in Ukraine, but we're in it. But what we do need is defense and weapons. And Paul says, look, I want you to know that you're born on the battlefield. Well, he said, we didn't choose that. No, God chose you. You're not volunteers, you're conscripts, he says to the church. And he said, you have to be equipped. We're in this. We wrestle. The word wrestle is sort of, it's used of hand-to-hand wrestling. It's a personal thing. It's not remote. This will involve all of you. But we're all in it together. We wrestle. Not just me. It's not just your personal conflict against the devil. Now, don't ever think, when we look at these rulers and authorities and these powers that uh, are part of the demonic empire, when Satan... F- rebelled against God, a third of the forces of of the the angelic beings came with him. And these are set against God. They can't get to God, but they can get to his people. And so they're going to go for you because they hate you. And so you think, well, I thought the Christian life would be a doddle. Well, it, it is, in one sense. It's the most glorious thing. But actually, it's not a doddle. It's a battle. And the sooner you get into your heart, the better. There are some people who are not here this day at the King Church who once ran well with us. Now, they may, I'm not talking about those who have gone to other churches. That's fine. I'm talking about people who are going nowhere, who have been rendered inoperative, who ran well and passionately. So th- this is why John and the eldership have decided, this is serious. We're not playing games. Your eternal salvation is vital. Your effectiveness for the kingdom is vital. And so that's why we're doing this. And so we're looking at this, this um, series. It really should be a seminar that you can ask questions because this isn't a sermon to forget tomorrow or even in half an hour, let's say. So you have to know this stuff. This is very practical. And so we're going to look at this, at what we are looking at. And John reminds us right at the beginning that we are strong in the Lord. That's the first thing. Know who you are in God. Know that you know, you're secure, you're loved, you're safe, and many other things. Not only that, you know his mighty power, that you're indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. And know increasingly to know the, the working of that same power through you. Know that. Because we're in a battle. This, we're not playing games this. This is not hymns on Sunday. This is, this is life. And then Richard reminded us and underlined that we have to put on the whole armor of God. 
We need a defense. This is battle. You aren't going to get through with your wisdom. You're not going to get through with your common sense or your experience or your willpower. You need to put on the full armor of God. This is God's armor. He has provided this. So don't be arrogant enough to feel, well, I can manage. I'm clever enough. No, no. And so we, we've come to this armor. And Neil last week reminded us that with the first bit of armor you put on, the soldier, he puts this girdle of truth. It's not like a little leather belt like this. It's a sort of broad thing that held everything together. Not only that, it made you mobile because you tucked you in and you could hook things on it. The other parts of the, the, the armory. And so that's where we got to. And so the, today, the next thing that Paul says, and let's be clear, you have to do the fighting. God's not going to win your victories for you. He'll give you the power and the weapons and the armor, but you have to fight. And the only person who can cause defeat in your life is you. Because God has provided all that we need for life, as Peter says, and godliness. So it's all here. So we come now to this breastplate of righteousness. And uh, if we're to stand, you know, stand firm, we have to put it on. Not just the belt of truth. We have to put on this breastplate of righteousness. Now, why does he, why does he use this? Ill- it's just an illustration. Paul is trying to get the point across. The breastplate covers the whole of the thorax, from the chin down to the waist. So for the soldier, it would either be... And Paul had lived his life in the Roman Empire. He had seen Roman soldiers every day of his life. And probably there's one standing next to him, guarding him, or outside the door. And when they went into battle, they always had... They put on this breastplate, which probably was either chain mail or strips of... Uh, metal linked together with uh, leather. Now, what is Paul, why is Paul saying this? Because in this thorax and the abdomen, you've got the vital organs, the heart, liver, lungs, spleen, and then all the abdominal organs. Now, in those days, they were thought to be the seat of your affections, of your emotions, your desires, your conscience, which led to your will. So therefore, he knows as a Christian, you are going to be attacked. I'll show you in a minute how you are attacked. Uh, so you have to protect these parts. And Paul is used this by way of illustration. You are going to be attacked in the realm of your feelings, affections, etc. So that's what he's talking about. So let's look at this. Because Neil reminded us, last week that Satan comes to attack us now let me say you won't get Satan only seven times in scripture does anybody get Satan or the devil but you will get one of his minions and um, so we're using the devil as a sort of to represent all the the powers that that will attack you and so that's, that's what we're talking about and so, how are we to protect? Because he comes to attack, attackers and, and accusers. He accuses. I mean, we come this morning and say, how are you feeling? And you feel, how am I feeling? Do you want the truth? Really? Really, I feel rotten, actually. I had a row with my husband. 
car wouldn't start. I kicked the dog. I haven't even a dog. Um, but, you know, it's just been a terrible week. I just feel terrible. You know, it's a miracle. I'm here. I, I really feel, you know, never is as high as a kite. And I feel, it's amazing. I'm here. I, how do I feel? I, I feel I wish this guy had stopped because I want to go home. If that's what I want to do, really. I, I feel terrible. But I'm here, so I'll just be grateful, you know. And um, that's how I feel. And he attacks us. And he says, you know, and he, he reminds us. Well, we're all the, the, the guilt of the past. The sins you've done. The divorce. You weren't the innocent party. Or you, not really. Or, the, or, or the, you know, the dishonesty at work. You haven't been a good witness anyway. And he, he you know, he lays it on. And, you know, and he, and he goes on and, and accuses us. And, uh, and now let me say this also in passing. God convicts us in love with a view to restore us. Satan convicts us with a view to bring us down. And let me say this also. Satan will tell you the truth. He will tell you true things. But he will not tell you the truth. He'll tell you true things about yourself. But he won't tell you the truth, which is there is a saviour. There is a shepherd. There is a redeemer. There is a helper. He will never tell you that. There is hope for you. Oh, the things he says, oh, you're true. And, and you go down the chute. And he, and he accuses us. And he, accuses, he gets others to accuse us. And then he, we accuse ourselves. We're good at that. If you were right with God, why are you in such a mess? Why is your family as it is? Why is work so difficult? Why has this happened financially? Why? Yeah, you're right. And he accuses us all the time. So what do we have to do? What do we have to do, you know? Well, Paul's very clear. He says you have to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know? Now, in one sense, a Christian has this. All Christians have this to start with. But you forget about it. And you live as if you've not got this. Let me try and explain what is this breastplate? Let's, it's, it's very basic stuff. It is the, I believe it's the righteousness of God. It's not your righteousness. I mean, that is essential that you have to try and live a righteous life. But that's not what he means here. It's the righteousness that God gives. God is incredibly, totally, completely holy and righteous and pure. And we are not. And, and forgiveness is not enough. Forgiveness is not enough. You, he, he demands from you a life of perfect obedience. Well, well we failed. We failed. You know, so, so what do we do? What do we do? I, I mean, Paul thought, he thought he was the bee's knees. He thought spiritually he was in the Premier League. He did. You know, he said, but he says, if anyone thinks they have confidence, reasons for uh, confidence in the flesh by his own efforts that is I have more he says I have more you know I was circumcised on the eighth day he's a good Jew he's a really good Jew right he says you know of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin right a Hebrew of Hebrews he was quintessentially Jewish the best but more than that in regard to the law Pharisee, they were the tops, they were the elite clan. (laughs) 
And he says, as for persecuting the church, well, he said, well, I was, you know, I was in for it. That's, that's his zeal. I was, that was my zeal would see, I pursued any heretic. He didn't just, he volunteered for that. And then he says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, faultless. But he says, <laughs> he says, but, but he says, I consider all this, I consider it rubbish. Now the word is very gentle, if I translate it as it, Paul would want. It really means dung, scubula means excrement really. It means rubbish, to put it mildly. He said, I I, I consider all that stuff rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, which the righteousness that from God and is by faith. It's a gift of God. Now why does he say that? He's this Jew, very religious, very spiritual. Because he's seen through all this stuff. You see, Jesus comes to the Pharisees, Sermon on the Mount, and he says, which of you chaps has not felt like having sex with somebody who's not your wife? Well, he has them. They're normal, warm-blooded men. He says, that is adultery. You have broken the commandments, right? And then he says, which of you has not said to a person, Raka, you fool? In other words, I wish you were dead. He said, Jesus, that are the seeds of murder. And he goes through all the commandments. And he knows that the Pharisees know that they've broken the commands. Because the thoughts in the sight of eternal God are as culpable as our deeds and our words. We can put on a great show on Sunday. But our, our thoughts condemn us. You see, Paul was the classic case. Paul thought, as the law, faultless. But then, you see, Romans 7, he says, he goes through all the Ten Commandments. Got that one, yeah, that one, that one. And he, he comes to the end. And the Spirit of God shows him, thou shalt not covered. And he said, I realized. I was full of covetousness, greed. Lost. I wanted what you've got. I wanted to be in that position. I wanted this. I wanted that. There was a, a, a dungeon, of, a cavern of thoughts and impurities and lust. And before God, my friends, our thoughts are as culpable as our deeds. And we all stand condemned. So that's why Paul says, I consider them as rubbish before the true and living God. But this is, where, this is the good news. This is why we're here, my friends. This is so wonderful. God became a man. God became a man and his name was Jesus. A perfect man, fully God, fully man, the Son of God. And he came on earth and he lived for 33 years. Perfect life. He never sinned once in his thinking, in his speaking, in his doing. He says, Satan can't put a hand on me. He came. But more than that, he says, I will take responsibility for your sin, for your guilt, 
for, you, for all the things that you stand before the Holy God and you stand condemned. Jesus, I will take your sin and I will deal with it. I will allow the wrath of God to fall on me so that you can be dealt with as forgiven. And that's what happened. That's the heart of it all. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of his world. And, uh, and God, God raised him from the dead. God raised him. Say, as a proof, this, this person has done enough. He has paid the price. He has paid the sin of all who will put their trust in him. Tis done, right? He, he, he paid the ransom for many, he says. Well, he said it himself. He came to give his life a ransom for many. So you have to see that he, he not only died, he's your representative, right? He died for you in your place. But not only that, and this is what Paul is making his case with, he lived for you. He lived for you, right? He lived for you. And all his life, it was for you. It would be, his, right, his right living would put, be put to your account. It's like if, if, you had, if your father had a firm and he built the firm up, and the firm did prosper, and he bought property, and more factories, and more offices. And he said to his son, one day all this will be yours. Yep, absolutely certain. This is what Jesus, in, in a sense, is doing. He's his life, his perfect life, all I have accrued, all I have won, will be for you, he's saying. He not only died for us, he lived for us. And if we're in another session, we'll show how he was raised for us. But he, so that's, that's what he did. Now let's just, can we just put that text to Romans 5? Can we put, there we go, there you go, Romans 5.19. Now Paul says, for just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, he was our federal head, our representative. God says that he's your representative. Through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. Now the key word you don't get in the English. But it means to be constituted as, to be reckoned as, to be put in the category of. In the class of sinners. Every one of us are born, not simply with a sinful nature, but as regards the Holy God, we are born that way. Separated from God. That's Paul's great argument. But, look what Paul says. <laughs> so also, through the obedience of the one man, will many be made. Same verb. Righteous. That's the gospel. In other words, through one man's obedience, you are put in the class of, in the category of, accounted of as righteous. That's what, that's what it's about. You see, it's like, uh, Rachel's not here, she, but Rachel and Christine, we went to a, a good Muslim friend of ours, and she wanted to become a British citizen. She'd done the exams, paid the money, so we went to the town all across the road. And there we were, a picture of the Queen, and the lady and the gentleman of the Queen's representative, we shook hands and all the summary. And she became an English, or British, sorry, British citizen. And I, I don't know how she felt. She was still born and bred, in one sense, a Pakistani, but she wanted to live in Britain. And, and now she's in the sight of the king, the government, and all the people. She is a British citizen. 
I don't care. I don't know what she feels. Now, that's what Paul is saying. You are reckoned in the same situation, in the same position as righteous. That's what he's saying. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. I mean, so you have this divine exchange. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. It's put to your account. David says the thing here, Romans uh, Romans 4. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man whom God credits righteousness, apart from any works. And what's the other? Same thing. He puts credit to your account. Now, David was a bit of a rogue at times, wasn't he? But God, is by his faith, God credited to him righteousness. In God's sight, he was declared righteous. It's like if I said, I, I could say, you could say, what's your bank number? Could you, do you, could you give me a sort code? Sort code? Yeah, I'll give you my sort code and my bank number. Because I want to give you a gift. If you feel led of this, follow this. I want a gift of £5,000. Do I see a hand now? Never mind. No, but what? I, so anyway, you do that. And I go, I go to the, the bank or I, on, the, on the computer. And sure enough, it's credited from you. How kind. 5,000 bucks. I may feel a surprise, amazed. I don't know. That's irrelevant. It is credited to my account. Now, this is what Paul is saying. This is what Paul is saying. It's not legal fiction. This is how God works. That's why we do need to, to that's why you have to put it on. I'll try and make it clear as I go on. God looks at us and sees us as his son. God made Jesus to be sin. I don't really know what that means. It's so awful. He became the depository of sin and judgment. That in union with him, we might become the righteousness of Christ. It's amazing. God puts your your sin on him and puts his righteousness, his active obedience to your account, on, on your name. That's what it's about, and that's what he does. Now, at the same time, and this is another session, he not only imputes righteousness, he imparts righteousness. By that, I mean that he put, when you become a Christian, he puts his life in you. His Holy Spirit starts working in you. He puts his seed in you, like a blood transfusion. His life comes into you, and he wants to shape within you, dynamically, the character of Jesus. So not only imputes righteousness, he imparts righteousness. Sorry about the words, but never mind. I couldn't think of any simpler ones. And it's a, we're, we're credited. Now let's work this out practically. Because it's very practical stuff, is this? Right? See, this, you see, this happens to every believer when you become a Christian. But we forget. You see? We let our feelings and all say, overwhelm us. See, it's no good having truth. The truth will not set you free. Jesus says you shall know the truth. That's what sets you free. It's not going to have in a Bible unless you know it. <laughs> it's knowing the truth that sets you free. The early church took the world apart. The first thing that their strap line, their first thing about their constitution was they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. Now, if you're like me, you're fairly thick. It's taken me years. Come on, tell me again. Come on. Until I get it hidden. That's why men are bald, you know, because God hits my head so often to try and get it from there to there, you know. No, I didn't say that. Sorry, delete that. Um, but it's got to get in. 
This is the most amazing truth. But, you know, the Spirit has to knock it into your head, but you have to read it and read it until you get it. And you see, the devil comes and attacks us on our feelings, not the truth, right? You see, you come this morning and say, I should be more, I should be feeling better. You know, I haven't felt great for years. I haven't had a spiritual high and... You know, I remember it used to be wonderful. It used to have highs, living waters and new wine and in this region, different. Ah, high as a kite. It was amazing. We couldn't wait for Sunday. But it's all gone. It's all gone. You think, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian at all? It's, you know, and then people at the front say, isn't it exciting? And you're thinking, no, it's not exciting at all. That's the last thing I feel. But, you know, the trouble is, we've had great feelings, and we've been deeply moved, but they've gone, they're not there now, right? But we, you know, we sing, and we're going to sing it. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of mine, but only rest on Jesus' name. As the old hymn says, where is the blessedness that once I knew when first I saw the light? Oh, when I was filled with the Spirit and all the rest. But it's gone. I'm flat as a pancake, right? What do you do? Paul said, I'll tell you what you do. You go back to the truth. Remind yourself. You're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. That's who you are. That's your identity. And I think I mentioned earlier, I was watching Joseph and his technical dream cotton. The narrator, I never heard it before. The narrator said, you are what you're feeling. And that's, a, that's our culture, isn't it? You are what you feel. And if you're not feeling good, you're a failure, useless, terrible, and all the rest of it. No, as Christians, that's not true. When you become a Christian, you are righteous in Christ, but you forget. You've got to put it on. I can pray for it, but you have to do it. You have to fight. God won't do it for you. You have to put on the hand. The armor, and if you don't understand it, well, Richard and all of us will be glad all our lives. This is our life to, to teach the church of God, not just arrange an hour on Sunday. This is our lives. That's why we have house groups. Why Richard talked about house groups because we don't get it the first time around, do we? We need each other, we wrestle, we need each other, and then the feelings come and go. But my friends. You should never put feelings in the first place in your life. Feelings are fruit, not the root. If you want feelings, you go back to the source, to the root, and feed the root. That's the good horticulture, right? Yeah, but what about those experiences I used to have? God, oh, dear, that's amazing experiences. I was baptized in the Spirit, and I was, oh, boy. I had visions, I had words from, of God, and you know, people listened to me. I thought I was somebody. <laughs> no, you wouldn't think that. But anyway, was it real? Was it real? Was it just, well, you know, are they just gone? What shall I do? Paul said, I'll tell you what you do. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You remind yourself. I dare not trust the Swedish frame or the most wonderful experiences. Experiences are wonderful, but they go. you can enjoy the memory. 
but they come and go. Our lives are based on truth, not on feelings. As C.S. Lewis once said, the nearest these human beings come to constancy is undulation. How very true. You know, and some of us are like that. If she's up, she's up. If she's down, stay clear. You know, but <laughs> we get the history. Or else she's not we get we get so discouraged, don't we? But Paul says, look, my my hope is built on this. My trust is that the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But we get discouraged, don't we, you see? You know, I work hard. I go to every meeting there is. I work hard for the Lord and I'm totally, you know, am I acceptable to God? I work hard. If you organize a meeting, I'll be there. I'll do whatever you say. I'll be on the streets. And then suddenly they stop. Because of some reason, you think, oh dear. You get, you get discouraged. You get discouraged, right? What do you do? Paul says you put on the breastplate of righteousness. I've seen, I've seen well, I've been in Africa and India many times. And full-time workers, they've worked their socks off. They've tied out, they've pulled themselves out. And you talk to them and they say, was I ever a Christian? Sure you were, you just... Exhausted. Yeah, I feel terrible. I feel like going home. I'm a hypocrite. Somebody said that the other day. I'm a, I'm a total hypocrite. I don't believe it. What do you do? You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You remind yourself of the truth. <laughs> you put it on. And if you don't understand it, somebody will help you. We'll help you to understand it. Because it, it doesn't always, you know, drop it doesn't always drop into mind, right? But you, you know, everything was going so well and then, well, it was all for nothing. I, I'm doubt whether I'm a Christian. Put on the breast of righteousness. Right? Don't rely on your activities. Jesus says, at the best, we're unworthy servants. We only do our duty. Right? All, if all our work is burnt up, what matters is that we're dressed, equipped in the righteousness of Christ. But actually, you know, we get depressed. Do you ever get depressed? Anybody, anybody ever get depressed? It may be actually genetic. I have friends and their grandfather was depressed and their dad was depressed and he's depressed. It's not a gene you want to pass on to people. But people do get depressed. It runs in the family. Right. But it may be you're just exhausted. You've had a baby. You've had COVID. You've been working, at, you've been coming home late at work every, every Every day, you're exhausted. And you wonder why you're depressed. I don't feel anything. Well, actually, you know, we're a, we're a one mixture, a homogeneous thing. Body, soul, and spirit are all one. We can't separate the two. We get depressed because we get tired. Probably need a holiday. I don't know. And, and then a little voice says, do you still believe this Christian stuff? About Jesus' love. Oh, now you mention it. It doesn't mean a lot to me. What do you do? Paul says, I tell you what you do. You put on this. You remind yourself that your, your, best, your life is based on what Christ has done. Not what you did, what he did for you. That's the heart of the gospel. It's not what you did. It's what he does. That's the great thing. 
Praise the Lord. Right? You put it on. Don't rely on your activities. I often feel, I read the life of Joseph every year as I go through the Bible. I just love it. And he almost cry when he meets his dad again in Genesis. But anyway, you know, Joseph has this dream. Of, I won't go through these two dreams. And he has his, his parents and his brothers bowing down before him. And then they, they don't like this little squid of a brother. And they get rid of him. They put him down a pit. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, Joseph's down this pit. Thinking, what are all those dreams about? Do you ever feel that? What were all those dreams about we had? You know? And Joseph, God has good works for you. Don't lose heart. But what do you do? You put on the breastfeed of righteousness. Right? I don't know what's happening to me on this Sunday morning. But I know God has dealt with me in Christ. He, he is my representative. And he, and he has given to me his right standing. And I'm in his good books. There's nothing in me to recommend. It's scubula, it's excrement, it's dung. But it doesn't matter. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? And when you start praying and and there's that, and then there's a little voice. Well, props to it when we do the shield of faith. But when that, when you start praying, and then the, the little voice says, "How can you dare pray with that attitude? With that, how you spoke to your wife, how you were at work this week? How can you pray? You haven't read your Bible this week. How dare you pray? What do you do? I tell you what I do. I Put on the breastplate. I know it's all true. He tells you true things, but the truth is Jesus died and lives for me. <laughs> I'm going to crack on with this prayer. I've been, I, my track record is not great, but my life is not based on my track record, but Jesus' track record. Right? And then finally I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Right? Right? I'm going to die. Even though I'm perplexed. You know, I don't know what's going on. Paul says, you know, he's perplexed. But he goes on. He says, but I'm going to die. How much, when, when we saw to worlds unknown, see the unknown judgment, how can we stand before the eternal God, before whom the very angels would never sin, cover their faces and cry, holy, holy. How on earth can you and you stand before him? Because you will die, certain, unless Jesus comes first. How can you do it? Paul says, you're going to die. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's what you have to do. I just read the life story of a, a great American uh, theologian, preacher, Statesman Gresham Machen. The one, the thing I remembered among many, his last words on earth. His friend took down his last words on earth were, "I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. There is no hope apart from that." That's the way to go, my friends. That's it. That's it. At the end of the day, it's. It's not show me your record. No, no, show me his record. That's what it's all about, right? See, when, when you became a Christian, Paul says it wonderfully in Romans chapter 8, God justifies you. 
God says, this person is righteous. He is as righteous as my son. He is justified. Who is to condemn if God justifies? When he justifies you, he knew the sins you would commit as a Christian. As well as the things you had already passed. He declared before all the powers of light and the powers of darkness, this person is righteous. And so he says, you have to live with that truth. He says, he's still at the end of Romans 8, he's still fighting against these, these spiritual forces. But he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life. And then he goes, no angels, no demons, he's still fighting. Neither the present nor the future, no powers, he's still fighting. Nor height nor depth, still fighting, these are angelic powers. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not your track record, my friends. If you're in Christ. That's what it's about. What he started, he will finish. But you, every day, I can't do it for you. Richard can't do it for you. We can't do it for you. Every day you have to put it on. When these thoughts come, you put it on. We used to sing a hymn, you know. We used to sing a hymn. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head. And clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That is true of the weakest Christian and the greatest saint. Right? So every day, every moment, when the, when the flaming arrows come, what do you do, says Paul? You put on the breastplate of righteousness. And all the people said? Amen. Go and do it.